Hello, this is RJ O'Connell for the Motorsport 101 podcast. Uh, We want to start this show being recorded on the 11th of September, 2018. Obviously a day that resonates uh, deeply with a lot of Americans of a certain age. That is, of course, the 17th anniversary of the attacks on New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania that happened on this date in 2001. Um, We pause in the much smaller community on a much smaller scale Uh, to reflect on the passing of a motorsport icon. His name is Dr. Don Panos, and he passed away today after a short battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 83 years old. Don Panos was the founder of Panos Automotive, a company that created some of the most innovative and breathtaking American sports cars to come around within the last 20 years. But his contributions really affect um, not just uh, automotive, but just motorsport in general, because he is essentially the man who laid the groundwork of what we know as premier level American sports car racing today. In 1999, he created the American Le Mans series, which later merged to form the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship that we now know and love today. Um, his cars, including the Panos Esperantes, uh, claim class wins of the 24 Hours of Le Mans Sebring in 2006, he, his cars raced in the premier classes of of, motors, of endurance racing uh, across both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, both in North America and Europe. And uh, he was responsible for helping to bring another great uh, sports car race to the endurance racing calendar. The Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, track in which he purchased, um, created the Petit Le Mans in 1998, and it's been a staple of the endurance racing calendar ever since its founder in an event that I've personally as someone who's been there a couple of times it's every bit as good as uh as any of the marquee endurance races out there your daytona is your sebring zero model the nurberg rings um panos owned uh, a lot of tracks he not only owned road atlanta he ran uh he ran sebring uh prior to selling it to nascar but what is what we know as most sport international raceway now canadian tire motorsports park before selling it to a canadian consortium uh, Panos was a pioneer in the medical industry with the invention of the time-release patch. Um, he was also influential in North American open-wheel racing. His Panos G-Force chassis were a uh, popular choice among teams in the early days of the what is now known as the IndyCar series. And he helped construct the, uh, the DPO-1 chassis that was used in the final year of the Champ Car World Series. And his company helped uh, back... What the one of the more controversial but still eye-popping concepts in modern racing, Delta Wing racing, which had recently competed in IMSA. Uh, that Delta Wing concept was, of course, pioneered by Dan Gurney, who we lost earlier this year. Um, the motorsport world at large and Motorsport 101 sends its condolences to the Panos family as we remember one of the great legends that has contributed so much to our great sport. Godspeed, Mr. Panos. And with that, we begin episode 160 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Filling in for your friendly neighborhood host, Andre Harrison, I am RJ O'Connell reporting from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, We have, it looked like we were going to have a lean show, um, and then we got rain delayed. So a couple of things happened. Uh, a transformer blew outside my house, and then King's power got cut on the same afternoon. So <laughs> we had to lose Dre. 
Um, Ryan Eric King is with us from uh, from beautiful uh, New York City. Say hello, Ryan. Yes. Oh dear. Yesterday there was a big storm. Power went out. Uh, glad we could make it here today because maybe maybe it was all in the plans because we would have missed a lot. <laughs> Yeah, um, we have big bombshell F1 news to talk about. The 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 future has arrived. Charles Leclerc is going to Ferrari, and Kimi Raikkonen will have his two-year-long appreciation tour with Sauber. Also joining us, um, surely on transit to Northern California, uh, from Motorsport Tribune, Krista Hardy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, after all those last three weeks, unfortunately, I won't be able to go to Sonoma this coming weekend. The numbers just didn't work. Oh, that's such a bummer, dude. I'm yes, sorry. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll miss uh, Joseph Newgarden and Will Power trying desperately to win their in, next IndyCar championship, but unfortunately, they're so far behind in points, it's highly unlikely. We'll go over championship scenarios later on, but... Yeah, when I saw the news about Charles Leclerc getting the cyber seat this morning, I was, I mean, the Ferrari seat this morning, I was really, really happy. Uh, it's good to see Ferrari taking a chance on a new young one, and um, we'll see how they do next year. Asher is Sonoma this coming weekend. I can't wait. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, Chris. We will have uh, we'll have some discussions, some expanded discussion of the IndyCar finale at the Grand Prix at Sonoma that is happening this weekend. We got F1 in Singapore this weekend as well. Um, and we thank you very, very much, everyone who is listening to the Motorsport 101 podcast this week. Remember, we are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101 if you want to see clips from all of our episodes. We're on Facebook.com slash Motorsport 101. Our Twitter handle is Motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C. DeHardy. That's C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. And if you wish us to back us financially on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five dollars each month gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 network. And ten dollars gives you access to listen into this show live as it is being recorded. Just as Cam Buckley, just as Henry Chapman, just as Brian Glennon, just as Black Mild are all getting to do. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and I believe that should just be, uh, so let's, uh, get start. Wait a minute. Uh, King, did, did we have a power cut? What's going on? Why are all the lights out? I don't know. Is it happening again? Oh, jeez. This is ridiculous. Where the hell is that music coming from? Wait. No way. Oh, no. No oh, way. Oh, no. No. Oh. Good God almighty. I thought... I thought he went to Japan! I thought, I he, was thought gone. he went to Mexico! I thought he went to Puerto Rico! Oh my god! It's really happening! It's happening! Hello boys, I'm back! Oh Adam my Johnson god. is back! It has been 18 months, almost a hundred episodes. You nearly made a hundred episodes without me, lad. <sighs> Adam, my friend. It's been too long. How the hell have you been? Oh, I don't know. Surviving. That's good. You've uh, you've actually been up to a lot since the last time we've gotten to hear from you. Hmm. I've basically yes. become a full-time wrestling fanboy. I feel <laughs> <laughs> um, Nice. Oh, and also write about video games now, which is nice. 
And, Excellent. Uh, but yeah, this year I was like, oh, uh, racing. I used to like that. I should start watching it again. And then ended up here and then thought I'd stop by and see how you guys were doing, you know. I'm like that embarrassing old friend from school that you try to forget about and then shows up at the reunion party. Drunk. Uh, As I actually yes. do have a pint of cider on the rocks here. Yes. Um, the original angle for this comeback was was that I was going to put my uh, was I'm going to put my host ship up on the line at a, in a title match, but but there's no need for that. Johnson, um, thank you so much for being back. Um, tell all the fine listeners where they can find some of your of your written uh, works. Um, well, you can find all of my portfolio and shit on uh, www.ajv1, that's the number one, dot com. And you can also find me on Twitter, at ajv1, the number, B-E-T-A. And I believe that's the same thing on Instagram. Any of you remember me from the Bomber Sports days? Those days are over, my friends. I'm sorry. I mean, the channel's still there. You can, it's in in memory. Yes, uh, but, but I'm also, you are, but you are still making video content as well. Yes, I am. Yeah, with my uh, good friend Nate Fitzpatrick, we're over on the Armbar Arcade YouTube channel. If you miss the Bomber Sports plays gaming videos, I'm basically doing that again. But I'm also playing other games as well. Like, <laughs> ironically, at the moment, I'm doing an F1 2018 career mode, so it really does feel like the old Bomber Sports plays days. But uh. It's a good time. It's a good time. Yes, excellent. Johnson, it is great to have you back. Um, mm, let's nice get back. started. Let's get started because uh, because I'll tell you, this was uh, looking like a very lean episode, as we mentioned. Uh, not a lot in actual motorsport happened today, which is why if you'll if you'll kill that India, holy shit, we have a bike live uh, we have a bike live special bulletin here. Um, because whenever, whenever riders behave so badly that it warrants discussion on a Cars podcast. <laughs> Welcome to actually, this week's edition of Motorcyclists Behaving Badly. Yes. <laughs> we need, actually, if we can play just India, but like pitched up at like two times the speed, just to let you know that this is like a special bulletin. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. Bike Live Invades Motorsport 101. Um, so we're not talking about, uh, Jorge Lorenzo winning at, uh, did Jorge Lorenzo win it, Masato? No. No, no it was it, it was, was, was Davi. Okay, I had one of the Ducatis there. I just forgot which one. <laughs> oh, no, no I, I can already see Lewis in the chat typing. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, why are you talking about bikes? You leave it to okay. us. Okay, okay, yes. So we're not here to talk about that. That will be discussed in Lake Lab Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 Networks. Remember, $5 gets you early access to both shows. Um, we're here to talk about Romano Fanati. Um, I don't... Okay, so there's three laps to go in this Moto2 race. Romano Fanati is racing um, is racing another rider for position. And then all of a sudden, as they're coming out of a corner, Fanati comes over, uh, gets a little closer, gets a little closer, and uh, just gives a little bit of a squeeze to the front brake lever. You know, just a little squeeze at 140 miles an hour. No, 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 RJ, you've got this all wrong. He basically just got nostalgic for Road Rash. Oh, yes, that's right, dude. That's exactly I love what he's doing. Road Rash. He's like, oh, you know what? Um, huh, no, the, break. If, that's a nice if, trick. If that's the case, though, he should have just gone for the club. The club is unbeatable. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, where do we even start with this? Um, we start by saying it was a shit move. Yeah, it was... Uh, 
It was, uh, it first started with a black flag for irresponsible riding when he squeezed Stefano Manzi's brake lever during the second tier race. This was just before the MotoGP race, so this was all anybody was talking about before the Masano race. Mm. Um, Manzi wobbled a bit on his bike, but the, inco- the outcome could have been much worse as they were racing at speeds of over 140 miles per hour. I think the fact that the only reaction from Manzi was literally a sort of glaring at Fanati while still doing 140, like taking his hand off the brake lever, like, excuse me, what the f did you just do? Yes. I think the fact that that was the only thing that came of it is kind of a miracle in itself. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, So that resulted in a black flag. And then a two-round suspension, which people, which people felt universally was, uh, you know, very not as heavy-handed as maybe Dorna should have levied out. But the, uh, but the action was taken by the teams, and I say teams in the fact that Romano Fanati has now been terminated uh, by the Marinelli Snipers team for the rest of the season, so he's done for 2018, and uh, he also had something else lined up. He had a deal to race with the MV Augusta team in Moto2 in 2019, one of the most legendary marks in all of Grand Prix motorcycle racing. Um, when one of their head-ups uh, saw the incident, uh, they said it was the most disgusting thing and said that Fanati's contract, which was pretty much a done deal for 2019, that's now done. You know, it certainly didn't help that Stefano Manzi was racing for MV Augusta. Yeah, and he was supposed to be the face of their return to Grand Prix racing. When you were the... How... Uh, I don't understand. That's... Uh, and Fanati has a, uh, has a history of this, if I understand. Like, he, he turned off another rider's bike during the warm-up of a Moto3 race a couple of years ago, if I recall. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is not his first time, but this is the first time we've seen it in race conditions and just something so, like... Holy shit, oh, this is uh, did we, did, Do we need to talk about the last step in the story? Oh, yes, go ahead. Yes, this morning, uh, Romano Fanati announced his retirement. <laughs> so, uh, to translate a quote to an Italian newspaper, La Repubblica, uh, quote, I'm finished with the motorcycle world. I will not run again. I was wrong. It's true. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> Though, continuing on, it's not the end of the quote. Uh, do you want to see, quote, do you want to see my helmet and leathers? There's a long black strip, the manzi rubber. He attacked me three times and I could have been killed too. <laughs> and it's like he could have killed me too. Uh, end quote in there, but he basically tries to defend himself. Is this a bit like Santino Ferrucci being like, well, he called me Texan. That's just as bad. Jesus Christ. Um, for that, uh, Stefano Manzi himself got a sixth-place grid shop, which is nothing. Fanati's career is basically finished um, until eventually, you know, he gets coasted out of retirement when a team in Moto America something gives him a full-season ride. Because, <laughs> Del Coin Racing hires him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. How's that fourth car looking? Um, it's it's look it's looking pretty solid. Um, so Romano Fanati officially done in this town until he decides he's not done in this town. He wants to make a comeback. Um, how is this? How is this standing in sport superbikes in Japan? Just wondering. <laughs> um, right to the next part of the news. Um, so now we're back to 
four wheels. Uh, we had a, it's kind of funny, we had a rain-delayed Brickyard 400, <laughs> Brad Keselowski won the race, Kyle Busch effectively won the NASCAR President's Trophy slash Supporter Shield slash the regular season award that's kind of meaningless. <laughs> slash the League Leader Shield, because it's called yes. over here in uh, Rugby League. Yeah. Yes, uh, one team that actually did uh, finish out the regular season and win the playoffs and win the whole thing was uh, Martin Truex Jr.'s number 78 car, Furniture Row Racing. And we want to bring this up because we had some big news that dropped over the last week. The Furniture Row Racing, again, this is the defending champion team of the NASCAR Cup Series because they are losing one of their primary sponsors and it is a team that is basically sponsored out of pocket by Furniture Row founder Barney Visser. They lost five-hour energy in the offseason. They went with no replacement. Furniture Row Racing is shutting down and ceasing operations at the end of the year in 2018. <sighs> yeah, that's the appropriate reaction. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I don't know where to start with this one uh, because we hear all the time that NASCAR is in a state of decline hi johnson hello <laughs> yes um so, i'm one of the fans that stopped watching in the last few years <laughs> yeah and uh oh i mean where do we start with this one we know attendance is down as price of admission continues to soar a lot of money is being invested into renovating circuits but now grids are as small as they've ever been before and now it's just gotten a whole lot worse of a look for the series which again a reminder that their current ceo is now being asked to step down for uh for going to the mill um uh but like they they try to play it in a way where it's like a major league baseball style of track renovations that are sweeping across the country where like a lot of major league ballparks yes they're lowering the number of seats they have but they're also the seats are bigger and they're providing more amenities but it's not like baseball where they host you know 162 games a year most of these venues host maybe one or two races a year yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we've just found that over here in the UK with Rockin' and Motor Speedway is now shutting down because it's primarily an American-style NASCAR oval, which never got any American-style NASCAR open-wheel motorsports except for kart turning up for the first few years. And then it got to a point where they needed to spend too much money to make it fit for those series. And it wasn't worth maintaining the massive grandstands and the huge expenses of American-style circuit amenities you know what i mean and yeah, british touring right. cars and british gt going there once a year for a road course race where barely anyone could see anything in the infield kind of didn't really happen in the end so unless you're daytona where you've got the 24 and in fact that's about it um a lot of these tracks are one use because indycar doesn't go to that many ovals now mm -hmm. um it's a weird one yeah um, to go back to Furniture Row, Barney Visser uh, said in a statement last Tuesday, the numbers just don't add up. I would have to continue borrowed money to continue as a competitive team, and I'm not going to do that. Remember, Barney Visser has basically funded this team mostly out of his own pocket for the better part of a decade, for from when they started as a single-car independent team that was, let's be real, they were struggling when they first started just to even make races. Yeah, they were a classic then, kind of start from the bottom now we're here sort of outfit we all remember yes. when it was like kenny but wallace back in I, I think i think that's but, the most uh, part of his quote that's most important is to remain a competitive team he could easily go back to being you know struggling to make it in even though you know the chargers exist he would be at the bottom of the field and i think it's best that 
they would have, you know, it's best that they do shut down instead of running at the back of the field all next year. Yeah, if you'll remember, things started to pick up when Regan Smith won the, the Darlington Southern 500 in 2011 with this team. Back back before they were the furniture racing that we now love and love today, before they switched to Toyota and signed a technical alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing and brought in Martin Truex Jr., formerly of Michael Waltrip Racing, who was trying to get out of a bad spot, and they went from being a pretty decent and plucky team to being one of the consistent powerhouses. I mean, even in what's going to be their final season, Furniture Road Racing, Martin Truitz is still solid. We one of NASCAR's big three and a odds-on favorite, one of the three odds-on favorites, along with the aforementioned Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick to win the title. That equipment is good. That team is good. And they've become, they became a really awesome story when they won as a single-car team based far the hell away from everybody else. They operated out of Denver or Colorado when everybody else is based in North Carolina and a 30-mile radius around Charlotte. Mm. And that's what helped make them great. Like, I was remembering, like, ESPN specials about uh, Denver sports fans rallying around this team like they were basically the second coming of the Broncos or the Colorado Rockies. It was awesome. And now they're shutting down. Less than a year after they won the biggest prize in the sport. That's right. That is very much right. And it's and definitely not alongside, a good look. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't there also been a glut of major title sponsors leaving the series recently? Like, isn't Lowe's right. leaving Jimmy Johnson? Yes. Lowe's, Lowe's is leaving Jimmy Johnson. Lowe's is leaving big. Jimmy Johnson. That is big news as well. There's a lot of title sponsors that are leaving. Miller Lite has scaled down its involvement of Brad Keselowski, for instance. So now they are basically running patch together deals uh, to get him sponsored. Um, it's uh, the one thing about Truex though is that his talents will not remain a reward because the hot rumor is it's very likely that he's going to replace Daniel Suarez at Joe Gibbs mm. um, and Suarez will be moved somewhere else um, okay. after this offseason so Truex is going to be in good shape but that's still a very very bad look when Furniture Row Racing just a year after winning the championship is forced to shut down because they cannot find sponsorship because yeah, they it, would rather it, not run at the back that they would have to shut down yeah it, it well, i mean what does it say about the series that the defending champions are still spending and still making a loss and can't justify continuing it's like they've got to the top and gone well that wasn't really worth it after all we're leaving that's kind of what this thing says to me and what's interesting is that for years and years we've been talking about various well i mean back in my old days i was talking about the the gradual decline of the on-track product the ridiculous decisions that would happen every year and for me what stopped me following nascar anymore two years ago was just decision after just tweak after tweak after tweak it's become an incredibly unstable product and it's become a product that's not hot anymore um and i honestly you know as much as people kept telling me oh well you know there's still a lot of fans in the stands people you know you're over exaggerating there's less people you know the fans less fans at the tracks it's you know everyone's moaning about it what we're now getting is, yeah, maybe they didn't notice when there's less fans at the tracks, but yes. now sponsors are starting to think, well, we're not getting a return on investment either. And that's where that's your real crisis point. If people do not see this as a product that's worth investing in or worth sponsoring, it's kind of like professional wrestling back in the day or well, even to this day now. It struggles to find commercial advertising space on major networks because people don't want to associate with pro wrestling. Stock car well, racing is in danger of becoming a damaged product, especially now you've got a CEO who was so publicly aligned with the current dumpster fire of a president 
that he got a lot of the current roster to actively support him. Remember that. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I think nowadays you may find that uh, Brian France has a lot more troubles on his plate. Than yeah, and I was going to get to that. You, you've now got oh, this yeah. situation. You've got uh, 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 literally a captain of the ship who's drunk at the wheel. Um, that was a bit on the nose. Um, Opioids are not alcohol. Well, they don't yeah, mix okay. well. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... but my point is you've got a scenario now where the product has been underwhelming for a long time the rules are constantly in a state of change Mm -hmm. because they're trying to patch this thing up whilst also being stuck in certain agreements like the tracks they've restricted using the same set of tracks every year hence why they're they're like we've added a road course it's the one at charlotte but it's a road course that's what you wanted yeah but that one yeah Uh, and uh, and they can't really change anything massively about the racing product because they've already done introduced two new specs of car in the last 10 years and teams do not want to go through that process again so soon like i i think one of the things that sponsors enjoy the most in in any sports venture is having a stable core at the center of your series or center of your sport so golf can have a lot of boom and bust periods but professional golf always has the core of having the four major championship tournaments, which always yep. do really well on TV. Yep. NASCAR, on the other hand, can't really decide what its core is going to be. Is it going to be the playoffs now? Is it going to be Daytona? Which, again, wouldn't be good because Daytona is pulling TV ratings that are almost half of what it was 10 years ago. And speaking and speaking of core, you were seeing an active changing of the guard. You have drivers mm. like Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. that have set away. Carl Edwards has Tony stepped Stewart. away. Matt Ken- Tony Stewart. Matt Kenseth is now a part-time driver, has stepped away from full-time duty. Um, and now there is a new generation of talent that is really, really awesome, but because of this perfect storm of events that are happening around it, they're not going to get the benefit that they deserve of being The series is not marketing them well enough. Yes, right. Because they've got so many, they're fighting so many fires elsewhere. You've got these old, the thing is, what what is now happening, the decline was, has now set in severely because you had a lot of old school fans, and look, I was a fan from afar, obviously, but I was a fan, a viewer since 2001, relatively off and on but i watched fairly consistently through to the end of the 2016 season where i cut ties altogether (laughs) and the writing was pretty much on the wall for me once my boy jeff burton retired at the end of 2013 more that that generation going away i think also sent a lot of old fans away who were still watching out of habit almost they didn't know anything else and then once their boy like jeff gordon dale jr tony stewart people like that went away they weren't connecting with the new young guns they didn't have any reason to the sport was unrecognizable to them it just wasn't appealing to them in the same way i, I remember thinking to myself at the end of 2016 this is no fun i'm not enjoying watching this at all what i think a lot of people came to the realization of hang on why are we still doing this we, that, that it was like the sort of snapping out of a hypnosis thing once the driver retired it was like oh why am i still watching this do you know what i mean like right. their driver still being in kept them watching it's like you know if even if the, the Premier League is in an absolute mess, if you're a Man United or Chelsea, you're still watching your team. But then if they go away, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. do I still watch as a neutral? Do I? <sighs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. It, I, I feel like oval track racing, stock car racing, that's not going to go away. I feel like Mm-mm. at the grassroots level, it's still very, very no, strong. No, no. Yes, but at the top, this is a, this is a series that, again... 
was once rivaling uh, the big four of American sports for popularity on a week-in, yeah. week-out basis. This is a series that is in need, in desperate need of a, of maybe a full tear it down, rebuild it again. I, I, I think it no needs idea. to contract, like downsize. Yeah, it absolutely. It needs to know what it wants to be. I don't think it's known what it wants to be for years. Is it trying to play to the hardcore fans? Is it trying to play to the millennials? And I think it screwed up with that because a big bugbear of mine in sport is when people try and play to my generation by making it play to the lowest common denominator and basically saying my generation can't, or our generation, can't concentrate on something for more than 15 seconds unless something is exploding, which was apparent with the, the, the methodology of the chase, with the ridiculous notion that you needed to get race drivers to want to win more. These, these are professional <laughs> athletes. They'll want to win a game of tiddlywinks against their three-year-old son. You know what I mean? Like, right. so it, it wasn't. It didn't know who it wanted to appeal to. It wasn't doing very well at appealing to these people, and it's sort of one of those trying to appeal. What's that? If you stand, if you don't stand for something, becoming you're a for jack. Yeah, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah, and I also think like it, it's unfortunate because they spent so long longing off their the hardcore fan base. Hmm. They never brought in the millennial fan base who were like, why do we want to? watch this series it's kind of boring and my granddad who voted for trump watches it um and then the hardcores have long since gone away because like i say their favorite driver's gone they've been watching since the 80s and 90s and now it's time to move on they don't have a reason to keep watching like part part of me wants to say that this was kind the seeds of this were so during the boom period back when I would probably say in that merger when they bought out all the Penske tracks and started their national expansion, and which also involved buying smaller, buying up smaller tracks and taking their race dates and moving them elsewhere to you know yeah, Fort Worth, Texas, absolutely. and you, Montana. Lost a lot of the core fan base, like going away from tracks like North Wilkesboro and Rockingham, and not listening. Like it, it's one of those things where there's a, a great book that I've been wanting to read for a while. Uh, about uh, it's literally called the death of WCW you guys may have heard of it or read it and there's a quote in that I don't know who it's from it may have been someone involved in WCW or it may have just been the author uh, basically the quote goes when you're flying high you can't do anything wrong when you're flying low you can't do anything right so yeah, to your point NASCAR did, they missed the chance to consolidate while they were at the top and now they're on the way down it's like a scrambling thing they can't seem to do anything right you know what I mean yeah, because now they have what uh, Miami, which is one of the relatively you know expansion tracks. Miami, that is Formula uh, One hotbed <laughs> destination. Now, now that's you know essentially the permanent host of the season finale. That you know attendance wise does not do well. No, no, it, yeah. they have kind of boxed themselves into a corner massively, and and especially with this chase deal, it's changed so many times that they can't now go back on themselves because they'd be admitting a failure which is the last thing they want to do right now. It's like they're stuck in this kind of forced marriage with all these gimmicks that they've tried out. And like I say, with the car, which arguably has been the issue all along, guys, a crap on-track product cannot be saved by no matter how many ways. You you can decide the championship by playing a game of D&D at the final round. (laughs) does not matter. If the racing leading up to that is boring, what's the point? It's like watching a dull football game only to work out at the end that it was actually decided on corners. Right. You know Roll two I mean? D10s to uh, to do a dive bomb at a turn three. Oh, looks like you rolled a. <laughs> ro- looks like you ro- you crit failed. 
and you like were, you were denied by dirty air and just like it, and like peeking over at this at the, you know the league that they're trying to copy the most from the National Football League even you know the NFL are not bold enough to have the same city host the Super Bowl every year yeah. That's a very good point, actually. And yeah. I also think, you know, not to keep ragging on a dead horse here, you can argue the merits of stage racing all you want, but, uh, King, was it you who mentioned about the big marquee events? Yeah, about the about the old marquee events, the 500, the Coke 600. Yes. Well, the thing is, stage racing has kind of... That was another thing that probably ticked off old. It certainly did with me. The whole luster, uh, and I think John Hindhoff mentioned this once. Yeah. Part of the luster of NASCAR was that it was endurance racing. It was a test of stamina. Yeah, and it nothing, still is endurance Nothing racing. embodied those more than the Daytona 500, where you literally went 500 miles, one driver, no driver swaps, bearing in mind that the Bathurst 1000 is, what, 620 yeah. miles? Yeah. And they, they're shaped between two drivers. NASCAR is the longest single driver per car series in the world, and the Southern 500 was built around endurance. It was... The old stories of like Johnny Mance winning the first ever one simply because he used truck tires that didn't wear out half as much and he lapped the field about 15 times because barely any of them fit. It's an old school knockdown, drag them out. But, and then that went away with stage racing because again, it just the perception was we're appealing to the lowest common denominator. We've got to get stages. We've got to do a quicker thing. We've got to do this. We've got to have a win here. We've got to do a playoff there. Didn't, didn't appeal to anyone. So the marquee events don't have the same luster that they used to. Like imagine if... Le Mans was split up into four six-hour races. Oh. Uh, I mean... <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> that, I don't know. And, I, I, and I mean, like, even the WEC has realized that, you know, outside of Le Mans and, you know, the times that they've run the 12-hour Sebring as a part of the WEC calendar, having six-hour endurance races doesn't work, and even they're trying to shake that out. Mm, yeah, exactly. Because now I think they're trying to space it out, even yeah. though, like, you realize, like, why are these events longer than others with other histories? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, I think uh, what's also worth noting is that I think motorsport and sport in general is going through, I wouldn't say a, a rough period, but everyone is having to adjust. We're in a big sort of generational shift. The world is changing. We know this. Motorsport in general is trying to find new relevance of course we've got all these alternative technologies this is i will always give credit for formula e they're doing a decent job in tapping into that but you know when even the british touring car championship is saying they're going to go hybrid in four years time every I, single motorsport I, I, series is having I, to adjust and having to decide okay we've got to still try and please the hardcore but they're not going to be around forever we've we've got to make the transition and some series are doing it very well from a position of advantage that's probably say it's down to that I'd probably say the biggest factor right now in terms of Formula One, any any sport on television is the fact that mass audience television is dying in a big way. It, it can't. There's no longer a captive audience where television was like the only the only means of broadcast entertainment. Yeah. Like uh, to use an example from this country, um, they've recently rebooted a classic. TV show from the 1970s called World of Sport. I mean, back in the day, World of Sport was all different shows, but it was famously a wrestling show as well. Yeah. And it was vital family viewing back in the 1970s. It was a big thing. They've just rebooted it. The show's pretty good, but it's not doing very well in the ratings, arguably because a lot of wrestling now is available on demand. And yeah. that's the way of a lot of television. You binge watch series on Netflix. That There is no... There's very rare... Outside of sporting events and maybe award shows, there's very few 
everyone in the country has to gather around their TV set now and watch. And that's probably why you're getting more and more ridiculous levels of money for TV deals. Like WWE just signed a uh, God knows how many millions of dollars deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. UFC, I think, has signed a new TV deal. Um, Premier League football over here is being split many different ways. Some of it's starting to go to Amazon Prime, which is an yeah. online provider. So you're getting into a scenario where people know live sport is the last bastion. I think Dre's been banging this drum for years. Yeah, it's the last bastion of live sport. It's the last bastion of cable and sal- satellite yeah, television. Yeah, of live television. Because, yeah. because sports is one of the things that really don't work well on demand. You pretty much exactly. have to watch it live. Most it fans that, watch it moment. live. Yes. Like, for, you know, like even to take an example, yesterday on the day we're taping this, Alistair Cook requiring, retiring from English Test Cricket scores 100 in his last ever game. That was a... I had it on the radio, listening live. Special moment to listen to it live. Doesn't quite have the same feel. Oh, but you, oh, but you can it. still hear people dunking on Piers Morgan for his, uh, for his backhand and pretty red <laughs> sal- salutation. <laughs> oh, the beautiful moment when Piers Morgan, who gave Alistair Cook all sorts of shit over his mate Kevin Peterson... Um, then tweeting me like, oh, we haven't seen eye to eye, but I have to congratulate him for being a great player. And then Jonathan Agnew, everyone's kind of friendly uncle, host of Test Match Special, just going, it's hilarious because he clearly doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, the uh, the NFL summary, just to check in, uh, the Bills are drafting number one. We did not bother to bake the cake and put the razor inside of it. The razor <laughs> itself is just being served on the tray, and the Yo, tray is on a Sorry burning Sunday, table. Sorry about you're, you're fine. The tray is on a burning table and a 275-pound tailgater is about to jump through it like it's an ECW show. <laughs> oh, and the brown uh, side of the Steelers. Oh, yes, the Browns tied the Steelers. <laughs> what happened? Uh, Chris, your sa- beloved Saints created Scorigami this week. Uh, yes. Um, well, to go back to the Browns thing, only the Browns can end a, win- uh, end a losing streak but continue a winless streak. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, my Saints... Uh, Fort, lost 48 to 40 to the Tampa Bay Bucks and created Scorigami. That score had never appeared before in NFL history. And I think that they did that once last year again as well with the Detroit Lions, I think. But no, it wasn't a good week for me. The the, the Falcons, at least they lost, thankfully. <laughs> um, uh, King, how did your Jets do? Oh, it's glorious. It, it, we beat it the Lions. It didn't, start, it didn't start off great because Sam Darnold's well. first pass was a pick six. Oh, and God, then yeah. and then it uh, and then it gradually got better. It, got, yeah. it gradually got better, and it just peaked in the third quarter. I do have to ask though: uh, there are no Chicago Bears fans in the server, are there? No, no. I, I'm staying Rip. quiet because I'm a Ravens fan. So. <laughs> Yo, you're going to get Lamar Jackson pretty soon. He's going to get the pass torture from Joe Flacco, and it's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I, I'm see. still relatively new. Like, basically, I follow the Ravens because I have a really close friend of mine who lives in Baltimore. And I was like, which NFL team should I support? And she was like, mine. And then sent me a jersey. <laughs> I was like, okay. So... Excellent. I was like, Flacco, he's good. Do a uh, thing. All and I can then, you had a point about the Packers? Oh, no. Actually, I just want to say, first of all, uh, Aaron Rodgers is post... Uh, game interview he was just I don't know what he was on but he looked like out out of it completely um, and thanks to Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees I actually ended up winning two out of my three fantasy football leagues um, nice well well the good thing so my motorsports league that I'm in I got five I got 163 points and the other guy got 158 and I had Brees and Kamara um, and one of my two other leagues I won but it is what it is but yeah how, if you're looking at my fourth quarter collapses man how about them bears 
I <laughs> fell asleep during that game. Um, I fell asleep. Aaron Rodgers was going back on the tractor. We were worried he might have blown out his ACL twice over. And then all of a sudden I wake up and was like, the Packers won that shit? <laughs> also, also apparently the Titans and Dolphins played the uh, played the eight hours of Miami. <laughs> uh, oh, nice! I didn't realize Granddad was by, back. Yeah, yeah. The four hours, uh, four hours of weather delays. Um, I, I don't even remember who won that. I just know they that played the Canada twenty eleven of NFL. Yes. <laughs> also, I love the fact that Dre's gone for one show, and it's become basically this is our version of the NFL show on BBC One. Which, Dre listening to this, on the one hand, would be like, why has my show become a fucking American football show? On the other hand, I know he loves the NFL show. So he'd be like, yo, Jason Bell, come on my podcast. Dre's beloved New England Patriots uh, did win their game. Beloved by him and him alone. Yes. uh, Yes, that's right. We'll we'll talk (laughs) about What company you share, Dre? Yes. Um, I'm back on the show for one week and I'm getting in my roast now before he can catch me. (laughs) I'll be gone fine. again next week. <laughs> I can't wait until the award show. This is going to be fun. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> should we talk about Formula 3? Should we talk about Formula 3? Because Mick Schumacher, that is Michael's son, he did something yep. pretty special at the DTM race meeting at at uh, the Nürburgring. Did he? Yes, yes. he did. Ooh, what did he King, do? King, go ahead and tell the viewing audience what Mick Schumacher did this weekend. Well, Mick Schumacher swept all three races of the Nürburgring weekend, uh, oh, becoming the first driver to do so since Lance Stroll did it a couple years ago. Yeah, there are four. There are a total of five people. Um, Schumacher is now one of them. Stroll is another. Who are the other three that have done this since the launch of the current European Formula Three Championship? Ooh. I they believe are, they yeah. are. I will. I have the answer for you. That is <laughs> that is Raffaele Marcello, nice. a a Formula One, a driver who should have made it to Formula One. Felix Rosenquist, another driver who should have made it to Formula One, will be probably seeing on an IndyCar circuit very very soon. We covered Stroll, and there was also Max Verstappen who did it in 2014 and still lost the title to Esteban Ocon. Never forget that Esteban Ocon in his rookie season beat Max Verstappen to the European F3 title. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't forget. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to get really good. There are nice. three, there are six more races, two more race meetings, and just three points between Tictum, who is the top star of the Red Bull junior team that is not already in Formula One, and Mick <laughs> the Schumacher. The only one who, left. Yes. And Mick Schumacher, who. Um, has he drives Mercedes power? Of course, his father was a Mercedes, is a Mercedes and Ferrari legend. Um, it's looking like, after some worries, if Mick Schumacher was ever going to come good in single seaters, that he is coming very good at just the right time. Also, uh, Project Cars famous Renee Rast did sweep the DTM race meeting at the Nurburgring as well. He's winning the Brooms. championship. Yeah, he's going to go back to back. That's wild. Gee, get out the brooms. Jeez. Um, <laughs> we also had Super Formula this weekend at Okayama International Circuit. And going into this weekend, there was a possibility that a lap record could fall at the former TI Circuit Aida. I'm, of course, talking about the 1 minute 10.21 sits lap set in the 1994 Pacific Grand Prix qualifying session by Ayrton Senna. Do, do, do. Do, do, yes. do. And then it rained a lot, so that oh. scrapped that. <laughs> 
Um, oh, nice cock block rain. Yes, that scrapped that. The race was then delayed and shortened down to less than 50% distance. Uh, in a must-win situation, Yuhi Sekiguchi won from pole position. There are now five drivers that are mathematically eligible for the championship at the JAF Grand Prix at Suzuka. The race, which of course was typhooned out last year, preventing Pierre Gasly from being able to challenge for the title. There are a maximum 14 points available, and five drivers are still in the lead of the championship, led by Nick Cassidy, who has a four-point lead over defending series champion Hiroki Ishiura. That race is next month. And speaking of, by the way, uh, Cassidy also drives a Red Bull-sponsored car in another championship. Hey, Toro Rosso, in case you need to think outside the box for a replacement driver. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> Pass the torch from Brendan Hartley to Nick Cassidy quite nicely. Just saying. <laughs> yep. Um, and that covers all the pertinence. Um, well, we had we had, we had an IMSA cage match. Um <laughs> It got really silly for the first hour, and then it settled down into an actual race. Pivot Urani won, and Johannes Van Overeck won for the ASM Nissan. Yes. Please, somebody sponsor that team. Also, My Pipo's, boy, Pipo. Yeah, Pipo, who's going to form the greatest Brazilian duo since Romario and Ronaldo when he goes <laughs> to Action Express next year alongside Felipe Nazar. Gee, son. That oh, is... <laughs> that is Pipo like to do Brazil. Yeah, that's a, like a Brazilian dream team. Gee, that's the, yeah. hey, F1, look at what you could have won. <laughs> yeah, that's like putting together prime Ronaldinho with Neymar. <laughs> I'm maybe only slightly exaggerating. Uh, also, Big Mate won again. Back-to-back -back uh, wins for Big Mate. Hello, thick GTE BMW here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also um, love the fact that that one meme got shared in our Discord chat about 20 times in one yes. day. Because <laughs> yeah, it's that it, good. It, uh, it, even, it even got shared in Midweek Motorsports Facebook group. That's yes. how good this is. And this half that group doesn't even know what memes are. Yeah, you're right. That's the thing. It started in Japan. When, when some it? dude was just like, some dude on Japan Twitter was watching Le Mans just like, hold on, this M8 is quite big. Let me go ahead and blow this up a bit. <laughs> so and Weibo started this meme. Yes, that's wonderful. <laughs> and also, by the way, if you if you hadn't seen it, Sheena Muck in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo mm. series survived a hellacious crash at the corkscrew, yeah, lost exactly. her brakes, um, crashed head on into the corkscrew, flipped over. Um, thank goodness she escaped some very very severe injuries it looks like she is going to race again oh, man yeah. that was rough yeah, yeah it looked like something out of like out of the fast and furious it looked like something out driven it looked it looked eerily like the accident that claimed the life of gonzalo rodriguez at the very same corner in the kart race in 1999 with with yes Yes, yes, that is uh, yeah another another great talent loss. But very very glad to see that Sheena is uh, is on the men right now. That the injuries were not as severe as they could have been. That's that's really a testament to the safety of modern racing innovations, the cars, the circuits, and of course the uh, the Hans device that she was wearing. Arguably, uh, it it could have saved Gonzalo Rodriguez's life if he had added 19 years ago. And thank goodness it was there to save Cena Mugs. Uh, life here in this race. Absolutely. So, absolutely. 
Um, we've covered most of the miscellaneous racing news. Um, let us talk about, let us uh, take a quick musical break, and we'll be back to talk about the big news of the F1 silly season. The future is now, and it is he, LeClaire. had a uh we've had an interesting silly season in formula one so far daniel ricardo is going to renault next year um lando norris is getting that mclaren drive nobody knows if esteban ocon and stoffel van dorn who are still very good are even going to race next year and of all the consequences that come about this um folks it is time to embrace the future because ferrari Charles Leclerc has... got in there he was playing f1 2018 career mode he got in there for his contract negotiation he said you know what going to try and take a punt negotiate with ferrari and uh, it worked and then ferrari were like oh hang on uh kimmy uh yeah um so uh, next year uh, what were you planning on doing yeah it's not that it's not driving our car mm-hmm. do, you, do you like switzerland <laughs> yeah, yeah we heard I hear switzerland's nice at this time, time of year <laughs> okay so the big news of the day it started with kimmy reckon and announcing that he would not be back with ferrari next year thus clearing the door for Charles Leclerc, the top prospect of the Ferrari Driver Academy, to be promoted to Ferrari, affected with a 2019 season, while Kimi Raikkonen will go back to likely finish his career where it started with the Sauber F1 team, starting in 2019 on a two-year deal. Um, Mama, I'm coming home! Or in Kimi's words, hello, I'm coming home. <laughs> if you had if you had gone back in time ten years ago and said to yourself, "Man, Kimi Raikkonen is going to come back to Ferrari," and then once he's done there, he's going to announce on his Instagram that he's going back to Sauber <laughs> to close things up with a like, low res photo of his <laughs> yes. him from his like Sauber Petronas day, <laughs> like yeah. really like. like but I mean, like he'd woken up. But I mean, like. <laughs> Ten years ago, if you said Kimmy was going to Sauber, you think Sauber played out entirely differently. It's like it's yeah. like imagine if I was like in a coma for the last ten years. It's like, oh man, what, like, what have I missed? Alonso's in IndyCar. Why couldn't <laughs> Sauber? So so BMW still with Sauber, right? Uh, yeah, shit, dude. What, what, what's yours for Sauber doing on back on the grid? Shit, son. <laughs> What's Gus, what's Jan Magnussen doing back there? I thought he was a Corvette. Dude, he's still driving a yellow car. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Yeah. Um, the big story out of this is Charles Leclerc. He's 20 years old now. He'll be 21 next year. And he's going to be the youngest full-time Ferrari driver since 1961. And before uh, that, the the last time Ferrari signed a driver even close to that age was 1934. Wow. <sighs> yeah, of yeah. the big three teams, Ferrari are normally one that trust in experience. They don't normally do a Red Bull and take a punt on, like, a teenager, do they? Because yeah. uh, we need to mention the history of those two drivers in 1934 and 1961, why they didn't last a long time Ferrari. Right. Ricardo Rodriguez, younger brother of Pedro, uh, perished in a racing accident just as he was starting to hit his stride, which really, really sucks. Yeah, mm. and Guy Maldi 
the French-Algerian driver that Ferrari hired for the 1934 season, won Monaco that year, won the Avis Renan, and then died driving for Ferrari later that year. Guys, yeah. you're not giving Leclerc much hope here, are you? Ouch. If he's listening, he'd be like, shit, what have I got myself in for? Oh, no. Leclerc is the real deal. We've yeah, said he's the real deal. Oh, yeah. yeah we, no, in terms of talent, I'm not questioning that at all. Yeah. He won the GP3 Series title in 2016. He won the Formula 2 Championship in 2017, which, by the way, uh, F1's YouTube channel did us an absolute solid. Remember when we said that we should put his sprint race highlights <laughs> up for Bahrain, the one where he charged from 14th to the lead in, like, nine laps? Yep, you can watch the highlights of that on the F1 YouTube channel. It's nice. worth your while. Thanks, uh, Liberty. Yes, so helping to turn around a team that was very much bottom the barrel last year, Charles Leclerc has made in a qualifying uh, final session, Q3, on three separate occasions, and he has a best finish of sits at Azerbaijan earlier this year. He has helped to really turn around a team that we were all kind of questioning, well, are they still going to be on the grid for the long term? And mm. in doing so, he's boasted his own profile and really elevated his own game. And now we're seeing Charles Leclerc get the... Uh, get the promotion that we feel that his talents and his potential clearly deserve i mean mm. let's not forget that when he was still in karting his great rival was Max Verstappen, who a lot of people still hype up as a future multi-times world champion so clearly that that rivalry is going to really heat up now that they're both in top flight equipment that are able yeah. to contend for race victories that's going to be yeah. awesome yep um and it's going to be it's also going to be fascinating to see um because Leclerc's mentor, his godfather, was, of course, the late, great Jules Bianchi, who was the original driver of Ferrari's Driver Academy. He was the he was the the driver that set the standard for Ferrari, what Ferrari's junior program is now. And although Jules, unfortunately, did not get the chance to realize his potential in Formula One because it was taken away from him too, too soon, it's really awesome that... You know, Charles can get to realize this dream, which is fantastic. Um, mm. He is a A-plus, five-star, can't-miss talent of the future. He has been he has been one of the most exciting young talents to come along in Formula One in over a decade. And this is even in, a, in the fact that he's very much driving a midfield car, but he's ringing every ounce of pace that he can out of it on a consistent basis and in turn he's making the team around him better he's making normally mediocre marcus erickson better around him he's elevating everybody up at the team and it's going to be huge when he gets to ferrari next year to go alongside sebastian vettel so yeah, that course, is huge yeah and of course and now also, we have sorry, to worry, feel like cool. uh, oh boy now we're gonna get vettel ricardo part two again oh boy here comes vettel <laughs> wanting to bre break out of his deal we don't even know how that's gonna work out no that's just people being contrarian i'll be honest with you <laughs> yeah um can, can i just say by the yes. way yeah uh, go I, ahead Johnson. i love i genuinely i think it's funny how people immediately uh, wanted a negative reaction to this so they suddenly remembered Anto Giovinazzi exists <laughs> when they'd forgotten about him all year but overall I loved I mean obviously as King pointed out Ferrari don't take a punt on really young unproven yeah. talent that yeah, often the last driver they took that was even kind of young was Felipe Massa who had yeah. been their test driver in 2003 and was with Sauber in 04 and 05 before that he was still very very young but not yep. this young no, and I love the fact that in a sport where top-tier seats do not come around that often, 
and most of the time, the safe bet gets the seat. Hello, Pascal Verlein. Sorry, Valtteri Bottas exists. That was like probably the last time. I mean, Red Bull, you know, they're the top three, and Red Bull normally have someone from Toro Rosso ready to go. Daniel Ricciardo's leaving. Pierre Gasly steps up. They might run out of drivers soon, but mostly top-tier seats. Seats in F1 in general don't come up that often, let alone top-tier championship contending seats. So for all of us that bemoan the lack, and of course we're going to bemoan Esteban Ocon and Stoffel van Dorn maybe being out of the sport, just losing out in the great game of musical chairs, um, it's lovely that someone is getting a chance. Someone has been like, you know what? You've come into the sport. You've got a great junior record. You've impressed in your first season. Let's take a punt. Let's go. Absolutely. Um, I think he's going to do amazing things. How awesome would it be? You know, we kind of, you know, Monaco isn't the, usually the most exciting race, but I am here for Charles Leclerc winning his home Grand Prix. <gasps> oh, that's gonna yes. be That's going to be magical. Even if it is a 78-lap procession where he just pretty much <laughs> sits on the field whole way, that's going to be fun as hell. Yeah, that is that would be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of moment because oh. if I recall, the last Monegas driver to yeah, win... Yeah, that's Louis Chiron. Yeah, in the third that's Monaco a- Grand Prix. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. In 1931. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. He's getting, he's gotten praise from his future teammate Vettel. He's getting praise from possibly a future title rival, Lewis Hamilton, which by the way, all of a sudden Mercedes have the oldest team of the big three. Hamilton will be 34 next year. Botas will be 30 next year. You know, those wow. old men of the silver arrows. <laughs> and on the other side of the coin, we have Kimi Raikkonen um, wrapping things up tightly. This year will be the Appreciate 14-in tour, and this one will be the Appreciate 7-in tour. Um, yep, Kimi Raikkonen is going back to Sauber, which I think it's pretty awesome that, you know, a driver who we kind of just slag off as being not really interested in driving. I think once you sift past, like, the media aspect of Formula 1, which... It's clear that he couldn't care less about it. Mm. He just likes to drive. He just likes yeah. to drive at the limit. And I think it's awesome that he's, you know, this will take him past his age 40 season, if I'm correct. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. it would. Yeah. So he'll be yeah, the elder statesman I, of I the grid. I genuinely love the fact that he, like, I genuinely didn't see this part of the deal coming. I thought Raikkonen's going to go, well, I'm out of Ferrari. There's no really competitive seats around that's it i'll go find something else to do like he's already got left the sport once and went and did what was it rallying nascar all sorts of yeah. different things so i, I kind of love the fact clearly he's here for the long haul and i do wonder if part of him is a little bit like you know what it's time to pay back the oldest debt on the grid you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um he's been he's having his best season so far since the start of the uh, the hybrid turbo era you know, it mm. didn't start off great for him, but he's gotten better and better each season to the point where did now... Did he struggle originally to adjust to the break-by-wire system? Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. That was one of many things that he struggled to adapt to. Eddie, wretched 2014 season when he took a return over Ferrari. But ever since and ever since, he's gotten better and better and better. So now mm. we can retire the rolling one-year contract for Ferrari for deals. Uh, we can retire that gag. Um, I do just wonder from a competitive standpoint... You know, it is awesome that Kimi Raikkonen is going to go out mostly on its own terms, but am I missing a trick with 
Alfa Romeo because at least they are on the upswing, but that is still very much a midfield team unless they are pulling a 2014 Williams out of nowhere. Mm-mm. Um, I, I don't know. I think part of it may well be Ferrari want to keep him in the system because yeah. Sauber is, of course, partnered with them. He's a brilliant. He would be a brilliant mentor to have to help bring through someone like a Giovinazzi or someone like that. Um, he can he can work in that role, and I, I you know Ferrari like to stay loyal. Part of the Leclerc deal yeah. came on the fact that it was signed um, before. Oh God, help me out with the name. Help me uh, out. Guys. Before Sergio Marchionne. Sergio Marchionne, yes. Before yes. he passed away, he made that deal, and it's one of those. It's like it's an old honor thing. It's like nah, he made that deal. It was his dying wish. We're going to honor it. And, and I so, think a reason why you know Ferrari might have helped push Kimi towards Sauber is that Ferrari realized the hole that you know is going to be at Sauber with them losing Charles Claire. Oh yes, the uh, the hype train is backing on it. <laughs> we got fire sirens alarm and sound the alarm. Charles Leclerc is going to be awesome. <laughs> this news is so flames. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we all remember in 2001. Remember, he had come in with uh, a grand total of two years and 23 single seater races under his belt when he got the drive with Sauber. Now keep in mind, this was when you could test however much you wanted and you only had to do like 300 kilometers to get a super license in an F1 car. And Mm. it turned out so good that he eventually ended up surpassing the dude that was a slam dunk, can't miss for the McLaren seat if Mika Hacken or David Coulthard were to get some place, his own teammate, Nick Heifeld. Raikkonen did not score as many points, but he showed so much potential that Mika Hakkinen just went to Ron Dennis like, "Yo, you've got to get this kid." When I'm when I, I'm done I here, genuinely you never knew that t- the, that part of the story. Yeah, um, basically Nick Heidfeld was McLaren's uh, McLaren Mercedes uh, can't miss star of the future, and then oh, Kimmy just project. rocked up. Yeah, Kimmy rocked up, and all of a sudden um, they were just like, "Yo, we're taking this guy." <laughs> yeah, because you, you have to remember at the time. Uh, McLaren had a really close relationship with Mercedes and Nick Heidfeld being German. Ah. Yeah, and since they couldn't have that other German driver run that was doing pretty good at the time. Because he <laughs> well, Ralph Schumacher. Got, yeah, the, you know, the other one that couldn't get on with Ron Dennis. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think Alpha Salfa Bermeo is going to be is going to be a lot. They're getting better as time goes on. We'll see what they do with this teammate situation. Will they play it safe and pair him with Marcus Erickson, who is still a proven commodity with the team, or will they decide to go outside the bots? Will they get somebody like an Antonio Giovinazzi or a or a Stoffel Van Dorn or an Esteban Ocon? It looks like the mm. safe bet's going to be Erickson, is it not? Erickson's the safe bet. Hands people mock him, but like he clearly brings a lot of money to the team, and he's in general. He brings the car home clean most races. He's yeah. he's one of those guys that most sport people like to dunk on, but most sports have them, and most team owners quietly admit that if you can't have a world champion driver or a guy who's going to be a hot shot, you'd rather have someone who's not going to rack up repair bills for you and he's going to bring the car home safe and in the points. Let's not forget this guy. Where did he get P ten at Spa? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's he's Ericsson is perfectly. There have been far worse drivers in F one than Ericsson. Yeah. Yeah, he's bumping it's up. Just we're the in the current culture line. where there's always got to be a punching bag in F1. I think because his cool. 2014 season at Caterham was that bad, but he has genuinely improved. 
Yeah. I mean, 2014 in the dying embers of Caterham, who the hell could do well? In, uh, Andre Lotterer could not do well in that car. Well, Lotterer was quicker than him the first moment he stepped in the car. Oh, jeez. True. Yeah, Although it's... that is Lotterer we're talking about. Yeah. When we're talking about an F1 grid where the, the least effective driver is a Formula 3 champion in Marcus Ericsson or a Formula 3 champion in Lance Stroll or a multi-time Formula 2 race winner in Sergei Sorotkin or a two-time World Endurance Drivers Champion and Brendan Hartley. That says a lot about how good this grid is, and it also says yeah. a lot about how many more seats we really need to make sure everybody yeah. gets a fair shake. Yeah, it it it's it proves two things. Number one, the argument about pay drivers is largely invalid. There's not really anyone there who's completely not there on merit even pastor maldonado had talent yeah. he was the i am i'm saying but... I, i've said before that the pay drivers of today look like <laughs> schumacher in his prime compared to the pay drivers of 15 to 20 years ago. i i think it's absolutely. not close the the pay drivers today are more comparable to say the pay drivers of the 50s like you know fangios and like people who are supported by massive companies and supported by prince uh, yeah yeah, supported by massive co- co- companies and governments, not by, like, individual wealth. Mm. Bernard Charles yeah, yeah, Ecclestone. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that you just mentioned that Juan Manuel Fangio was a pay driver. Yeah, he, he was. I was going to mention that every <laughs> yeah. single time someone whines about a new driver being a... Oh, the pay driver. Yeah, Fangio was as well. Bye. Ah. Uh. So that's all intriguing. There's still mm. a lot to sort out. I am, I'm excited. I think we're all excited for what Charles Leclerc can do in a Absolutely. Ferrari next season. This just this genuinely feels like the start of a. I wouldn't say changing the guard because hey, we've already got Max Verstappen and Red Bull as a proven. Yeah, but now uh, we're also going to have still... Lando Norris in a McLaren next year. Now yeah. we're going to have it's, Leclerc, it's, and you know yep. George Russell will be there soon. And yeah, it's like it's like. Think about this. Yeah. In the space of about five or six years, Jensen Button's retired. Mm -hmm. Fernando Alonso's retiring. Mm -hmm. Kimi Raikkonen's on the way out. Mm -hmm. Lewis Hamilton has likely signed one of his last contracts in F1. Sebastian Vettel is not exactly young either. Daniel Ricciardo, Nico Hulkenberg, they've been around the sport for a fair while. Hulkenberg's been around the sport for a fair while. Perez Mm -hmm. has been around for a while now. We're getting to the point, kind of like NASCAR, where there's going to end up being a drastic changing of the guard. And for so many years, there has been such a bottleneck of talent that the people like Felipe Nazar and, and uh, I don't know, Marciello. Pascal Verlein. Pascal, Pascal Verlein. Oh, my God. Like Poor Pascal Verlein. If only he'd come along, like, now or next year. <laughs> right. He'd be sitting pretty. Yeah, because, like, God, think... Nico Rosberg's already gone. Yeah, because so... Rosberg- Nico if, Rosberg is a television pundit who is yeah. yeah. of being, of, of riding Lewis Hamilton's jock. Yeah, exactly. How times like, change. Because yeah, if, if you like, think like Nico fast... Rosberg was Nico Rosberg was smart. He did what f- so few athletes, except apparently Alistair Cook, can seemingly do, which is retire on top. Like just so fast, just fast that. forward two years, twenty twenty one. We with Kimmy probably retiring after that contract. We're looking uh, at a field where the most experienced driver on the on the grid would be. Uh, Sebastian Vettel with his 2006 season debut. Wow. It's like, it's, it's getting to the point where right Arav is my driver career mode Oh yeah, 2007, so it's him and Hamilton, yeah. It's getting to the point where Arav is my driver career mode is getting startlingly accurate. The least accurate thing about it is Arav actually being on the grid himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, Arav. 
No, you're fine. Chris, what do you make of this uh what do you make of this change in the guard here? Uh it's it happened to IndyCar twenty years ago, it happened to NASCAR within the last few years, now it's happening to Formula One. I'm looking forward to seeing what Leclerc can do at Ferrari. Um although you mentioned guys that have missed the boat on being put into Formula One. Um can't help but mention Felix Rosenquist in that group as well. Oh, yes. Mm. Although, he's going to have a pretty good ride, I think, going up to uh, Chip Ganassi, if he's able to get, if that's going to get confirmed with him being in the 10 car. Um, my big thing is, though, is, like, if Solo Clary gets a seat, what happens if he embarrasses Vettel? Like, let's say he wins, like, three of the first, like, five races of the year. I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm assuming Mercedes, let's just assume Mercedes has a dump of a car next year. What happens to Vettel then? Uh, that'll be. I don't tough. think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. But I think Vettel is because I think there. Ferrari, there's no way Ferrari. That we've just identified how rare they take on a young up and coming prospect. They're not going to want to build a team around two of them at once. And I think it's going to be, even if Vettel wanted to leave, he's going to end up in that uh, Danny Ricardo kind of scenario where. Where does he go? Where does he, yeah, the only go? Way he, he would have to go down. Yeah, he would, he he ain't would, have, to, he would have to be like, uh, Dr. Marco, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, can you imagine him trying to be teammates with Verstappen? Oh, my goodness. God damn. Oh, my goodness. That's diabolical. I hate exactly. it so much. Exactly. Um, we have Singapore. We have Singapore next. Uh, the, uh, the Paul Lim Singapore Grand Prix. Uh, that's not the Paul Lim is not the title sponsor, the darting legend, but uh, yeah, it'll, should, be, it it'll be be the tenth anniversary of that yes, crash. Yes, the uh, the it, the anniversary of one night, one hot night in Marina Bay, <laughs> <laughs> and the end of Nelson Piquet Jr.'s F1 career. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> so uh, interesting fact: ten ten now renamed Safety Car, please. Yes. Uh, for uh, for a track that is said to not favor the Mercedes at all, they've won three of the last four. Vettel's the only blip on the radar, and that was in 2015. Mm. Uh, but Vettel does lead uh, all drivers in the modern era with four victories. Uh, Dre has said Vettel needs five out of seven if he's to realistically claw back this 30-point deficit to Lewis Hamilton. Johnson, this is kind of where it needs to start, it? right? Yeah, I think Singapore is going to be the the now or never kind of moment where the, stand. the the only way Vettel could realistically bring this back without winning in Singapore is if not only he wins out after Singapore, but Hamilton would need to have some kind of retirement during yes. the Cooper Wellen Lager. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, I pointed this out on the on the last show that I was part of that um, Kimi Raikkonen back in two thousand seven. With six races to go, was 20 points down. That's 50 points in today's money. So it is still doable, but he does have to start winning soon. With a, said well, we, were thinking about this. we were talking about this the other day on the Discord. You may have been talking about this on the podcast as well. Mm. Hamilton does not make mistakes anymore. The last yeah. time he got a penalty of any kind was Bahrain 2017 with the nonsense with brake-checking Ricardo yeah. into the pit lane. And before that, when was the last time he got penalized for hitting another car? No. Was, was it Hungary got, 2015? Yeah, jeez, yeah. That's it's a long time. Lewis is. It's almost like now he knows that he, you know, his, his main excuse me, his main rival is not just his teammate anymore. He's focused in. He's laser. Yeah, he is laser focused. He is 
gracefully matured as a driver. He's less aggressive. It's, it's all that Tommy Hill figure. It's because <laughs> it's, dating, it's it's because he's going less up aggressive. Because look at the, look at Monza. Yeah. No, the two I would say made for the win. What I mean, the outside is Chicanes. When I say he, he's he less aggressive, that. but he's he's aggressive when he needs to be. He he knows mm. when and it's when not to now. be aggressive. Yes, he doesn't throw hail marys unless he knows he can absolutely pull it off. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> kind of like Scott Dixon from and, from Henry Chaffin in the chat. Oh my yes. god. <laughs> and then of course there's likely going to be a safety car because it's Singapore. It's a street mm. circuit. There the the boundaries are demanding, but not so much so that there is no overtaking. It's gonna be it, it's gonna be a good race. I feel. Fun story. Singapore Grand Prix is actually my favorite race on the calendar. Damn. It it just looks so pretty. It's like driving in an actual wipeout course. Yeah, it's it's like it has the the look factor. It's a street circuit. I like it. Plus, it almost it has that sort of hard endurance factor. Yes, like because the fact that they almost always hit the time limit. There's always a safety it's car. It's an intense. Yeah, the weather is freaking yeah. unbearable. It is it is what Monaco would be if they started doing it today instead of you know sixty years ago. Damn right. Damn right. It's mm. it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a pivotal race. I feel in the championship. Um, speaking of championships, we have one to be decided this weekend. When we come back from this musical interlude, excuse me, when we come back from this musical interlude, we're going to talk about the IndyCar Grand Prix of Sonoma and how this championship is going to shake out. Ooh, yeah. country uh it's the indycar grand prix of sonoma for better or worse it's your season finale of the indycar series the final for the last time yes because it will be replaced by another course up in norcal weathertech laguna seca raceway oh yeah um so we have um we've got some help here there was a spreadsheet we found in the indycar subreddit which breaks (laughs) down ditson versus rossi is that not a good sign of how close a t- title fight is going into the last round when you need to break it down in Excel? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Now, um, Chris, what is the title scenario for our most outside of outshot shots? Uh, Indy 500 will, Indy 500 winner will power. I'm sorry, Daytona 500 winner will power. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rick Allen, for correcting me. I'm sorry, it's Indy 500 winner will power and defending IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgard. So right now, both the drivers are sitting on the same amount of points, um, and where they are right now, they are third and fourth in the championship. They have to win the race in Sonoma, and Scott Dixon has to finish 24th or 25th in the 25-car field. Scott Dixon has 303 career starts. Without going to Wikipedia, can anyone name how many times he's finished 24th or worse? I know the answer, so I will let, uh, I will let Johnson take a stab at this. Hello? Yeah. How many times has Scott Dixon finished 24th or worse in his career out of 303 starts? Well, let's narrow it down. It's got to be single figures. Yeah. Oh, God. Is it under five? It is under five. 
is it two? Four times. 2012 at Toronto when his engine blew very early. 2005 at Indy when he hit Richie Hearn in turn one past halfway. 2014 at Indy when he crashed with about 30-some-odd laps to go. And then last year at Indy when he's got when his car got frequent flyer miles. So he's finished 24th or worse four times. Three of them were at Indy. So yeah. discount that. He's finished 24th or worse once. So he has a one going four out of 303. That's 1.32% of all of his races where he's finished 24th <laughs> yeah. or worse. It's basically one, 101 odds. Do, you, do I have a better chance of, be, of being struck by lightning um, whilst winning the lottery <laughs> at the same time? We're talking like... We're talking like this is Jack Miller winning Assen. This is Leicester City winning the Premier League. <laughs> Adam, uh, you might. This is AFC Wimbledon winning the Premier League. Adam, I think you can go to Dre to place a fiver on one of the two Penske guys, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll put a quid on. Yeah, it's uh, it's fair to say that they will be contending for the win. They will be contending for the win themselves, whether or not they will get the help around them. Because not only does Ditson need to finish 24th or worse, but Alexander Rossi has to finish outside the top 10 at what is effectively one of his better tracks. So if they and make it it's the basically corner, his home track. Yeah, basically. So if they make it through the first corner without a massive pileup that takes out Rossi and Dixon, it's kind of over. So uh, Rossi can uh, get through... But Dixon would have to be taken out in the accident. Yeah. And knowing uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, they're going to do everything they can to repair that car. When Power spun and hit the wall in the Fontana finale in 2012, he act the team actually repaired the car and actually got him to run a few laps um, at reduced speed just to try and move him up a few places in the uh, standings, but it wasn't <laughs> enough. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like the um, final round of the 2010 V8 Supercar season where all three title contenders went out on slicks on a wet track all piled into the wall and the James Courtney effectively won the championship by being the only one of the three to get back out and score points As super GT alumnus James Courtney always oh, and yes. forever an, yeah. an Australian supercars champion so now <laughs> um, so now that we have a new garden and uh, powers chance to sort it out it's looking like this is effectively a two horse racer four drivers are mathematically eligible but the two that are at the top R. Scott Nitson going for Title V and Alexander Rossi going for his first in his third season. Um, there are many different scenarios. If Rossi wins the race, Ditson has to finish at least third with all the bonus points available, and Ditson, uh, Ditson is the champion. Rossi yeah. wins the tiebreakers for first, second, and third. Ditson wins the tiebreakers from fourth onwards. So um, let's uh, let's see if we can try and extrapolate this just based on uh, recent results. Let's go back to 2007. So if Scott Ditson, uh, so if Scott Ditson finished uh, fourth, uh, if Scott Ditson finished fourth, then Rossi would effectively need to finish second or worse, and Ditson wins the title, just mm -hmm. as Ditson did last year at Sonoma. Um, if Alexander Rossi were, well, if he finishes 21st, then he's got no chance. Well, let's say if they replicate their results from uh, just from last week, if Scott Ditson finishes fifth, uh, Alexander Rossi uh, would need to uh, would need to finish would effectively need to win the race to win the title. If Alexander Rossi finishes eighth, Ditson has to finish at least 22nd, 
with all bonus points available. Twenty first, if he gets uh, if he gets two more bonus points, and uh, gets some, still wins the title. It's a uh, it's a twenty nine point gap, and remember, this is a double points finale at a track that is very tough to pass on. Make of that mm. what you will. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't Juan Pablo Montoya's uh, title fight effectively stymied here a few years ago because yeah. he got stuck in the midfield? Yeah, he got he tripped over his own teammate, and he also didn't win anything after the Indianapolis 500 and just kind of put the season on autopilot. I'm not so bitter <laughs> about that. I'm not at all, <laughs> as I'm crushing my soda can, and he'll clutch out the MC title <laughs> at Petit Le Mans. It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> Otherwise, his wife will be arguing about... Uh critical commentators again yes uh speaking of which we're gonna dip into the uh we're gonna dip into the mailbag here a bit because this is also a transition into uh to pertinent answers here from our resident indycock mom zoe hamilton um she Aww. says shot for hi, every hi shot for every tweet from ebba davies ditson this weekend yes or yes but on a more <laughs> serious note with the way indycar is expanding and adding to its calendar what would you guys like to see added next this is where we could then talk about the fact that the 2019 IndyCar calendar is out. And in the second race of the season, it's official. IndyCar is going to Austin. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, they are going to Circuit of the Americas, the ported five-year contract. Uh, we don't know if they're going to use the same IndyCar layout or if they're going to modify it and basically bypass the pseudo Hockenheim ring. Yeah, the same no, Formula they're, One layout. Yeah, yeah, they're not using the supercar layout. Basically, uh, near the end of the S's, they would cut off the last one and just straight line into the you know the little kink down to the hairpin. Yeah, basically okay. they're they're kind of cutting out the pseudo Hockenheim rig session. Are they cutting out turn eight? Are they cutting out the uh, the pseudo Istanbul slash Hayden Hill corner? No, they're not cutting out turn eight. <laughs> okay. I love the way you're describing this, but making it obvious that Kota is basically a pick all your favorite corners in World Motorsport <laughs> and build the track. Not that I'm complaining. If there's one Tilka drone that I'm happy IndyCar's going to, it's this one. Yeah. This and, this and Istanbul Park are Tilka's best creations. Because yeah. it is heavily implied that the circuit promoter does not want a side-by-side -side comparison of IndyCar and F1 at Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, with mm. Montreal when they were part of Champ Car, they basically had no other alternatives because the track you got is the track you got. Yeah. <laughs> like NASCAR ran that layout. Yeah, pretty much. If, um, if you're going to change Circuit of the Americas, what they ought to do is extend the back straightaway if they can and get rid of the 12, 13, 14, 15 complex because, quite frankly, having a much faster run to the quadruple apex right-hander would make a lot more sense. And quite frankly, that portion of the track should not have even have been built in the first place. It's It's stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that bit sucks. Like, yeah. as soon as you turn left after the straight, I'm like, oh, no. It's, it is, it's so slow and awkward. It's it's where Tilka became Tilka again. It was like, no, I have to have an awkward technical section with a load of slightly tight apex corners fiddling round and like... So, I hate it, sorry. So, yeah, it's been <laughs> heavily implied by the map of the circuit that they include on the schedule with, like, the track map in front of me is that... Uh, turn 8 and turn 9 would not exist anymore. It would just be straight from 7 to 10. Yeah. Okay, I'm down with that. Yeah. Um, so, Johnson, um, mm -hmm. because we discussed it on last week's show, we kind of set out preliminary picks. Dre went with Rossi to overhaul Ditson in the finale. Um, mm -hmm. We, I believe, I went with Ditson. Uh, King, who did you pick? Dixon. 
Okay. Uh, Johnson, from what you have gleaned from IndyCar in 2018, um, who do you think's taking it? Is it Power? Excuse me. Is it Nitson? Is it Rossi? Or will one of the Penske drivers, Newgardner Power, pull the upset? <laughs> well, I do like Joseph Newgarden. I he's do an ex-boy. He's an ex-boy of mine. He is still my man. boy. He is, he's like he's, Shane Van Gisbergen. Yeah. But he, he can't be a boy anymore. He's won a title. That's he right. Has, he has flown the nest. He's he's left the boy stable. No, no, no. Haven't you haven't you watched the recent OSW review? Uh, it's it's on a boy by boy basis now. Champions Wait, can be a... Joseph Newgarden to Jinder Mahal. <laughs> 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 Carly Newgarden. Oh dear. <laughs> but oh, anyway, only, uh, on. only wrestling fans are going to get mad at us for that. <laughs> Why did you bring me back on this show? <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I like those two. I, I don't see it happening. Uh, short of a first corner crash. I mean, strange things have happened. Um, and here's the thing. This is the ultimate head says Dixon. But Rossi. I feel like could do it, but he is going to need help. He's going to need the help of a certain Chris Cook. Now, if you remember at the Indy 500 a few years ago, first time we did the Day of Classics, Uh uh, Sarah Connors, dear friend of the show, um, hello, Sarah Connors, by the way, she was at the Indy 500 with 40 laps to go. Chris Cook of Cook Productions tweeted her saying, Rossi's not going to win. I believe he did that on a dare from one of y'all. Yeah, yeah. So basically, he said it live on air, and then we dared him to actually tweet it out. Okay, so we need to dare him to do that again. And then what happened? Rossi won, and King came out with the greatest line in Motorsport 101 history, and it was the roast of Chris Cook. Now, (laughs) here's the thing. Sarah Connors is going to be in Sonoma. Alex Rossi is in contention for the win. Who's going to tweet Chris Cook, daring him to say that again? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, but seriously, I am actually genuinely going to pick Rossi on this one. Oh, I man. think, I think that the, the way it could happen, I think Rossi is going to pull out clutch performance. And the way off Sonoma, even a wrong pit strategy call can trap you in the pack. That's all Dixon might need. He, he's not going to finish far away. It'll be like sixth, seventh, or eighth. Round there but it would be just enough for Rossi to win and take the title. Do you see what I mean? Right. Yes. All I will say is that qualifying is going to be super, super important. Oh, yeah. Yes, because remember, this is a track where you don't pass a lot of tracks. Sonoma, notoriously uh, tough to pass on, especially for a series finale where you wanted to go to the wire. Um, If either one of those drivers makes it, does not make it in the fast sits, and does not make it in the shootout for pole position... They are going to have it to. It may go be over some, there. Yeah, it may have to come down to some batshit strategy. Mm. Though I do have to mention, last two years, Sonoma driver on pole was in a Penske. Mm-hmm. That will uh, that will then be fascinating. Um, because our show was looking so lean before Formula One silly season dropped a thermonuclear bomb. Uh, on itself, uh, we have a mailbag that we're going to dip into. Now, we've dipped into it some already. Uh, let's clear up some of our questions here. Yeah, uh, we never answered Zoe's question. Yeah, we did. We uh, we did actually by uh, just... Uh, b- okay, but so then, uh, to just to go ahead and recap, what would you like to see added to the IndyCar's calendar next? Ooh. I... Part... 
Yeah, part of me says an oval. I wouldn't probably go with Michigan. I, I, I'm more leaning towards Chicagoland making return. Ooh. Mm. uh, Is Texas Motor Speedway still on the schedule? Yes, it is. Yes, there is is no longer an exclusive deal. Right. Okay. Um. Huh. That's a good question. Um. Well, can, you know, can, if uh, well, you know, you mentioned a Rockingham Speedway. There is another one that is uh, trying to revive itself for what seems like the fifth time, <laughs> and you know, it it just seems like I know the banking is a little bit high for an IndyCar course, but you know, they're looking for something, and if NASCAR doesn't want to play ball, I mean, hell, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. Like, I could easily be biased at this point and go, IndyCar, you want an international expansion? Brands Hatch, hello. <laughs> <laughs> they have just improved their safety facilities uh, in lieu of DTM yes. coming back, so there is that. You can mark um, up Sebastian Bourdais as your defending champion. You absolutely can do that. Uh-huh, he's still there, yes. <laughs> they, they did it for Portland. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, they did, they did. Um, uh, but other than that, like I, I do like the fact... I, I think the obvious answer really is Watkins Glen back. Yeah. That's the only track that's really missing from the schedule now. Mm-hmm. I think IndyCar's done a great job uh, in the last five years or so of really kind of going back to the heartlands of American open wheel road racing, mm-hmm. you know, bringing back the Glen in the first place, mm-hmm. bringing back Portland, uh, bringing back road America, bringing back uh, all those kind of hotspots. Oh no. Laguna Seca. No, I've got it. I have an original pick for you. Montreal. Yeah. Cause Montreal, they're allowed two race dates a year. Uh, Pretty much right now, the second race date is whenever NASCAR decides to show up. So I'm pretty sure if IndyCar wanted to take that race date. And and run NASCAR as in a support series. Yes. Oh, that would or be Or have rad. them both support a Stadium Super Trucks mega event. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, fly supercars back over from America. They've tried cracking America before. Oh, yeah. Supercars in Montreal would be dope, by the way. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. It'd be um, better than, like, NASCAR there was great, and supercars are actually designed for road courses, so... Excellent, excellent. Um, our Polish friend, Jason Poland, um, has a two-parter. What's your favorite and least favorite racing car livery of all cra- time across the board? Um, also, one more, perhaps, if you can influence a rule change or adding a new role in F1 to improve it, what would it be? Johnson, you had a question that pertains to the second one. I did. This was before... Um... <laughs> This is before I decided to make a run in the <laughs> show and just take over myself. Uh, I uh, genuinely asked a question about this. It was um, partially related to uh, Jason's question about uh, rule changes. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I was thinking the other day about how MotoGP in recent years has become uh, has become more competitive based off of spec parts, mostly spec ECUs, mm-hmm. uh, off-the-shelf ECUs or mandated ECUs, as far as I know, from the organizers. And I was also thinking about the fact that the British Touring Car Championship have announced that when they switch to hybrid technology uh, in four years' time, there will be off-the-shelf units available to help decrease costs. Now, what's the one thing we always bang on about in F1? It's the cost war. It's how completely financially insolvent the series is. So my question would be, which parts in the power unit would you mandate to be spec to A, help the costs, and or B, help the competition? I would say everything but the eternal combustion engine. Ooh, so the whole hybrid system. Yeah. Ooh, I probably kind of, a bit as a cop-out on the question, but 
if I had to make something spec on the F1 cars, a couple of years ago, they were having this concept of a core car. part, uh, <gasps> Basically, a part of the car that, like, a mass of the car that had to be spec. So, the monocoque, the rear front and side crash structures, as well as reintroducing a uh, active suspension as <gasps> as spec. Like, basically, that entire, like, core composition of the car had to be spec. And everything else around it is what pretty much... Uh, engines still have to conform regulations, but pretty much everything, as long as it's within regulations, you could, you know, build whatever you want around it. Oh, I like that. Because funnily enough, people people assume that this is not the case, but in many ways, innovation or allowing a more freer rulebook can actually help with costs. Yeah, exactly. You can, you one can of come my out with. Go on. One of my things, what I was thinking about, like, well, you know, we have the V6 turbo hybrids. Could we get, like, you know, a four-cylinder twin-turbo hybrid that revs <gasps> higher? Yes, WEC style. Yeah. Give, give I never something. understood why all the engines have to be the same configuration in that regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was mainly a cost thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. So, so yeah, uh, up until the late 90s, you could, in theory, run whatever you want until they banned... Uh, the V12s and mandated that everyone had to run V10s. Yeah. And then after that, we ended up with the single configuration engine formula. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was them or Minority, basically just out of necessity because they could not afford anything else at the time. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, then they just like just wrote the rule book in a way that you had to run a V10 after that. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the best looking racing livery, um, I don't know. It's for me <laughs> the Calsonic uh, Nissan still has a soft spot in my heart. It's very basic, but that shade of blue is just perfect. Mm. Yeah, it's iconic, isn't it? It's, and it's what you hold dear to your heart, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. For me, it's going to be another nostalgia pick. It's either going to have to be, you know, the late 90s Lightning Bolt Target Chip Ganassi cars oh. or the or the West McLarens. Mm. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, for me, uh, it's a tie between two race cars that sat on my shelf for years. The 2006 Jaguar. Mm -hmm. And the two, th oh no, the 2003 Jaguar and the 2003 Jordan F1 cars. Ooh. We're talking the Buzz and Hornets Jordan, the one with the um, the hawk on the nose. Oh goodness, that brings me up to my point. The the 91 <laughs> Jordan Schumacher's oh. first car, Zanardi's first F1 car, the Seven Up, the car that seven almost won the yes, the Seven Up German that Andrea De Cesaris almost won the Belgian Grand Prix in by passing Ayrton Senna straight up on the track until the oil went out. God damn it. <sighs> you have a lot of internal nostalgic sadness, don't you, RJ? A little bit. A little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sending you a hug, dude. For, okay. um, for my favorite livery, it's a tie between two cars, either the King Motorsports Quaker State Buick um, from Guerrero or Jim Crawford oh. in the early 1990s at Indianapolis, or the 2000 yes. or the Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, car he ran in the Bush Series race at Daytona, the Oreo number three car where it was blue when they had like the little milk on the yes. bottom of it. That was so good. Yes. Yeah, that's a very good one. Um, can I also, you've reminded me of another nostalgic pick of mine. It's the livery that made me a NASCAR fan. Jeff Burton's pink and black 99 
Exide car. Nice. Oh yes, yeah. The Exide Ford Taurus. The one Fun that was fact, thrown back by oh. Matt DiBenedetto. Um, yes. At this year's Southern yes. I love DiBenedetto now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Him and Landon Castle now the internet's two favorite NASCAR sons. Oh yeah, they're like everyone's boys now. <laughs> but like, no, no joke. Uh, back in nine, uh, 2001. Uh, just after I watched my first NASCAR race, it was an hour highlights package on Eurosport, the one Ben Edwards was doing dubbed commentary for. Because <laughs> presumably they were like, huh, British crowds can't understand these American commentators at all. Um, but uh, shortly after that, in the local, it was called Discount City, it was like a pound store on the high street in my town, they had the range of the 1998 Hot Wheels NASCAR diecasts, the 164s, and the owner genuinely didn't know how much they were worth um, and was selling them for like 75p each so I got this entire set of like 15 cars and it included like a Joe Nemechek Bell South Chevrolet Derek Cope's number 30 Pontiac uh, Mark Martin's number 6 Valvoline Ford uh, it, it had almost the whole lot and Jeff Burton's 99 the pink and black Exide car was in there and I remember that was my favourite livery of the lot and I was like Who's that driver? Who drives that car? I like him. And so when I watched, I was like, ha, huh, there's the driver of that car. He's in a different one now, but I still like him. And the rest was history. Awesome. Oh, actually, speaking of 7-Up, honorable mention uh, of a car that I've never seen actually, you know, raced at the time. But the delivery that Benetton ran during the late 80s, they ran at 88, 89, and 90 of that, like, kind of rainbow color from the side it looks like just really colorful blobs on it they had a big seven up on the rear wing yeah it's like that that was a good livery and then they dropped it when they got camel as a sponsor oh how annoying one more sorry no yes. two more from me mm -hmm. to risk sending the show on forever this is one of those like top top this was like pick one and it's ended up being a top five that's now got 25 entries in it <laughs> um, but number one uh, well, the first one, you can't go wrong with the black and gold Lotus liveries. Oh, man. Be it on the, 1970, the, the Lotus 72s of the 1970s or 2012-2013 brought it back. I like those liveries a lot. Um, and the other one, very simple. Uh, I believe it was the DHL branding, but the yellow and red Porsche RS Spiders mm -hmm. from Penske Racing in the American Le Mans series yeah. mid-2000s. That's good. They, they hold a nostalgic value for me because... I associated endurance racing at that time with a race goes on for a certain amount of time and in the end an Audi wins prototype <laughs> and then I remember one day watching those two beat the Audis and my young brain obviously I didn't know the Audis were ballasted and blah, 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 blah. I, but at the time I was like oh my god someone's beaten the final boss of endurance <laughs> racing and ever since then I, I have the diecast sat in front of me at the number 6 from I think 2007 and I remember a few years ago, I got to visit the Porsche Museum in Stuttgart, and I had no idea that it was there. And I came up a set of steps, and it was there, sat right in front of me. That's like, awesome. oh, it was a beautiful moment just seeing that, like, go. I, I, I gasped. There were people near me, like, what the? Jesus, he's getting excited. And I was like, <gasps> it was like a meet your heroes moment. Yes. Couple more for myself. Kyle Petty's Hot Wheels number 44. Um, yes. If. If liveries translated to success, Kyle Petty would have won a trifecta of titles in the late 90s. <laughs> Spoiler alert, did not turn out like that. Mm. Um, the Castrol colors that a lot of people know from WRC, but I know from its mm. time in the GT500 ranks, 
Honda NSX. Um, no, this one on the Supra. <gasps> oh, yes, yes, um, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Subaru Triple Five livery. Um, mm-hmm. That's awesome. And for currently, hell, it hasn't it hasn't aged bad one bit. The BWT Pink Pink Attack. Yes. Yeah, the Force India. I tell you, I also it's like the Toro Rosso livery as well. Toro Rosso is still good. RJ, RJ, what did you just do? <laughs> uh, we refer to uh, we refer to Spa's uh, that uphill corner at Spa. That's Christian name now. Turn four. Okay, good. That's the correct way to word it. <laughs> um, yes, um, we've got enough time for I believe one more question. Uh, this is from Kelly Bone at British Pokemon 1991. Um, this is actually we're going to dip for two questions. Uh, what is everyone's favorite non-motorsport video game? Crazy Taxi is not motorsport. I know it is driving, but it's not motorsport. Um, I'm very good at it, but we'll beat you at any any time, any place at it. Oh, that sounds like a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Banjo Kazooie. Uh, so that's the first question of hers. Yes. Um, Okie doke. Who wants to go first? Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> Solid. Yes. King. Good shout. Oh God, I'm, I'm a very, very generic person. I, I feel like, though I do have a really big soft spot for like the the paradox grand strategy games. So I'm, oh, I'm wow. a big, I'm a big fan of. Uh, right now, I'm playing a lot of Europa Universalis Four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnson, uh, I covered mine. It's crazy taxi. I've also got a great soft spot for. Oh, that was you. I thought that was you. For right, two yeah, games, okay. I've got. I've also want to throw out Super Mario RPG: Legend of the Seven Stars for Super Nintendo, Excellent. and yep. 2064 Read Only Memories for PC and most multi-platforms. Awesome oh, indie game, um, yes. Johnson. Because you also write about, you also play and write about video games. Some of them are I not do. motorsport. What are yours? Believe it or not, that's my job now. Yes. Um. So, yeah. Ah, this is a tough one. I. Hmm. There's there's four they'll come to mind it's it's one of those answers that will change whatever day you ask me yeah first one is the original sonic the hedgehog on sega genesis oh yes first video game i ever played that Mm -hmm. shit stays with you number two is the doom reboot from 2016 Mm -hmm. i love me a good fps and that is a fucking awesome fps i've never had so much fun with a game in years uh the third one is grand theft auto san andreas uh an iconic staple of my mid-teen years in the mid-2000s um to the point where it actually encouraged me to start lifting weights and exercising. Pretty when much everybody's teen game. years, if you disregarded <laughs> Peggy yeah, or absolutely. If your parents didn't care enough about the ratings on the game, they're just like, I don't know, fuck it, kid, kid wants a game, just go ahead and get it. Yeah, I, I think my my, my my mom actually just went over and was like, oh, you want to buy this game, do you? Oh yeah, okay, there you go. I mean, Shout you're doing bad stuff coffee. in the game, but you're not going to... Huh? Shout out to Hot Coffee, by the way. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, my last contender, by the way, is the original Medal of Honor on PlayStation One. We do not talk about the yeah, reboot from co- 2010. Yeah, the the original is great game. Yeah, yeah. it's it was my first game on PlayStation One. One of my first, no, my first ever FPS. It was that and Return to Castle Wolfenstein on PC. Um, but Medal of Honor One on PlayStation One, soundtrack by Michael Gacchino, who I believe has done scores for recent um what was the was it rogue one the star wars spin-off i believe he scored that he's done cinematic and tv scores since then his score for that game is absolutely beautiful 
Uh, it's a very simple game. It's a World War II shooter. It has a sort of James Bond, Indiana Jones adventure, one person behind enemy lines sort of vibe. But it has actually surprisingly good AI for the time. Really fun gunplay. It's just a great game. I just have this wave of nostalgia whenever I go back and play it. And it still holds up to me. It Like, the animations are a bit janky now. It's late 93 remodeling. The, the people look like they're made of blue tack stitched together. But... It's it's endearing. It's stuck with me, and it's still wonderful. I adore it. If we did not get to your questions on this episode, we apologize here. We may be able to squeeze them into the 161. The second one from Kelly, she asks, uh, and this may be derivative of one that actually helped me get on the show, where I asked, which uh, racing commentators would you most like to have calling your bedroom shenanigans? Uh, this one a bit <laughs> different. Um, if you could swap out the current F1 TV commentators for another non-motorsport sporting commentators group, how would you choose? Non-motorsport uh, commentators. Can I go first on this one? Gus Johnson on the lead. I'll start the bidding there. Johnson, you go ahead and follow up. <laughs> okay, um... So there's two I'd have. Uh, number one is Jonathan Pierce, who mostly is known as a football commentator, but we all know him as the lead commentator for Robot Wars. Mm -hmm. um, he would be incredible in that role. The second one is one that you guys may not know. Uh, he's a guy called Eddie Butler, who is a former uh, international rugby union player for Wales. He's one of the lead commentators for BBC's international rugby coverage, and he also does voiceovers for other sports shows. I believe he does the voiceovers for the NFL show on BBC as well. He has a way of making sport feel truly epic. He has a lovely, melodious, epic Welsh voice that when he's describing a Welsh winger flying in for a try in the corner, it is the most glorious thing ever. And when he does voiceovers, it's not, oh, this team are on a three-match losing streak and they're on the skid. It's dark clouds descend above the stadium. There is disharmony in the ranks. Three losses in their past. He makes everything feel like an epic sci-fi movie. He, I would I would happily have him in the corner of my bedroom calling my shenanigans. I would also happily have him calling a motorsport event. I'd probably prefer the second one, to be honest. He would as well, probably. Uh, one one more that I uh, one more that I thought about and King might relate to. Um, baseball commentator Matt Vaskersian, who now calls Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, but before that uh, called the international feed of the World Series on uh, all major like postseason. Yes, yeah, and. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are familiar with him because he's also the commentator for MLB The Show. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, he's very, very good at it. King, who are your picks? Oh, you probably picked the two that I want: Gus Johnson and Matt Vasquez. But <laughs> if if I had to pick a commentator, I'd probably I'd probably like to see Bob Costas come out of retirement to call a Formula One race. That'd oh man, be... NBC, you had the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, you had the opportunity. What are they doing, lads? <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, I've just remembered another candidate for me. Uh, on the rugby track, there's an Australian rugby league commentator called Andrew Voss, who is one of my... He's like... Do you remember peak Charlie Cox? Oh, God, I barely remember this. Who's still, uh, like, late 90s British touring cars and in the early... Well, when in MotoGP, when he still had a voice. Yes, I remember in MotoGP. Yes, and his his knack of a beautiful turn of phrase that barely made any sense. It would make you laugh out loud at the time, but still somehow fit the situation. Andrew Voss is that for Rugby League. He called the 2013 Rugby League World Cup a few years ago. He was like, obviously, the British, the BBC had their own British commentators, but he was a guest commentator for some of the, like, the secondary um, uh, games. And he would 
There was one game where he actively talked about getting drunk in the pub before the match. There was another game where with 10 minutes to go, he admitted the game was over and said he was looking forward to finding the best curry house in Limerick that day. Uh, <laughs> there was one time where he, I think he yelled out someone's... A, a player called Suasso, something like that. Uh, he, he just yelled that name and then he went, I would sue him for that. <laughs> just an in instantaneous pun. He's just one of those Australian commentators who has a beautiful way of words that both makes you laugh and is so energetic. I think he'd be brilliant in motorsport. Excellent. Chris, any suggestions from you? Okay, so for a non-motorsports commentator to take over one of the Formula One races, this is what I actually would love to see this happen just because of a pure trolling point of view and because I would love to just see how badly he would screw it up. May I do an impersonation of the person I would like to see join the Formula One broadcasting? Oh, oh please, go ahead. Here's a guy when he puts the gas pedal down, he goes faster. John Madden. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I was almost thinking John Gruden, but he has a very successful gig of turning tomato red and trading away his best players. Yes, let's get John Madden to do uh, motorsports commentary. Um, we're all still answering the other one, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, you can answer the okay, other one. Okay. Um, here's the problem, though. Um, there's a few motorsports commentators that would actually do a great job of calling bedroom shenanigans. Probably Steve Madge would be great. <laughs> Go on, get after it, son. Push, 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 push. <laughs> also, uh, just to switch it up a bit and put motorsports people in non-motorsports scenarios, um, Johnson, if you're familiar with uh, if you're familiar with the work of uh, indoor sporting commentary legend uh the late great sid waddell best known for his work in professional darts yes we cannot yes. bring him back bless him because we cannot bring him back from to this plane of existence but mm -hmm. what if we put davide valsecchi in alongside for for the alexandra palace matches oh my god <laughs> It would be we need to make it happen. It would, yes. be, it would be pretty much the same, but in a far thicker Italian. <laughs> the same tempo, the same, the same energy. It, it's yeah. a great, great fit. He's as happy as a penguin in a microwave. <laughs> Do you know there's actually a series? I think it's NASCAR Nixon that does this. There's a series on YouTube where it's. Um, I don't know what it's called. Yes, like, it's uh, it's it's motorsport commentators in strange places. And they have like Ken Squire yeah, calling yeah, yeah. bowling and, and it, Olympic speed skating. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that series. I think that's great. That I, that want, makes me want more motorsport commentators crossing over into other stuff. Incidentally, I know Jack Nichols. Jack Nichols yep. does uh, commentary for some Olympic sports. Yes. I want to say Lee Diffie did the same too. Well, pretty much out of yes. necessity. Nowadays. Lee Diffie is just so talented. He can commentate commentate on someone opening a garden gate. Yeah, because that's the thing that I love about the Olympics, because, number one, there are just so many events, and most esports aren't regularly broadcasted, so they don't have regular broadcast personnel, so they have to bring in all these outsiders to call these events for two yeah, weeks. You get, you get Lee Diffie and Rick Allen uh, calling Olympic track events. <laughs> Pretty, you'll have Dale Jr. being, like, a guest on, like, the Olympics, and for, like, the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's wonderful. <laughs> You'll have, like, Rick Allen at one end of the javelin throw and then Dale Jr. at the other end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, you did a Watkins Glen. Yes. It's like, I, I, I just, I love crossovers like that. Like, 
We all remember Mike Joy in DW going down to Bathurst that year. <laughs> oh, we? that was great. My arms are broken. So My arms are broken. I mean, it produced the greatest pre-recorded segment in history. miles a damn hour. Not the corkscrew. <laughs> Not the corkscrew. The passenger ride. I just lost my lunch, and I haven't even had any. I didn't even have any. It's a geological oddity. <laughs> I don't know what was funnier, like the Australian commentators just like they played that on the Australian feed, and after that the Australian commentators like this is both the greatest and most hilarious thing. <laughs> mm. But it, it, I think it works whenever a commentator crosses over to another sport when they genuinely have respect and love yeah. for the other series. Like even if they admit that it's not their bread and butter, they don't know everything, they come over and are like, "Hey, I'm." genuinely happy to be here this is cool teach me do you know what i mean that's if i may another yeah, motorsports commentator to call bedroom shenanigans john heindhal <laughs> oh, I, was, I was gonna say i was gonna say lee dippy uh, uh john heindhal would just really would really get into admonishing you for all the dumb shit you were doing the better oh, oh that's, come on now that's this is, that's this is very naughty endurance race this ain't a 20 minute sprint <laughs> Is not, down, is not giving them the foreplay. This is absolutely <laughs> astonishing. It's ridiculous. I've got to say, the limits on condom use is just, it's really ruining the strategy this year. And then, you, then your romantic partner is on her cell phone just like praising Hinda on Twitter <laughs> during the... In midweek <laughs> Oh no. I have just thought of one more crossover um, for non-motorsport yes. yes, and this to will motorsport. Yes, and this will be it, yes. Okay, the last one, I can't believe I didn't think of him earlier, Mauro Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. Mauro. That's, yeah, Mauro's the plug-and-play for pretty much everything. Oh, can you imagine? F1. Can you imagine? Yeah. F1 with Mauro Ronaldo. <laughs> like... Dream F1 broadcast booth right now. Maranello, Davide Valsecchi. We need to make it happen. <laughs> they would last approximately two races before being fired. But they would be, be the, the best two, two races ever. Oh, just perfect. Please make this happen now. Uh, get on that liberty. Um, please, yes. uh, please slide yeah. into. Please slide into I want, the DMs I want like face most... cams from in the commentary box at Monza. Oh my god! Maranello yes. just like please. exploding and Daniel Ricciardo goes for a time bomb. That's perfect. Yeah. And on that, I feel like we we went a lot longer than we expected, but it was worth every minute of it. What a Something's damn, never change. What a damn show. Y'all, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Johnson, for being back with us. It is you are always welcome back any anytime. And thank you. Thank for, you. It's 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 also really poetic in a way, because like I will fully admit when I left before, I was like, RJ plus be be the replacement. Mm. You, you're good at this, mm. and I'm so happy that you've proven me completely right since then. We will have our uh, we will have our climax. We will have our wrestling match someday. It, it, will, it will be in the Tokyo Dome. I may before before I do any other slips of the tongue here. Places you can find our podcast. Motorsport101.com is our hub for all of our podcasts and written work. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast. We're at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 for our greatest hits and awesome clips. Uh, Facebook.com slash motorsport101. Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles, if you wish to follow us, at AJV1Beta. 
at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, at C. DeHardy, and at Harrison101HD. And if you wish to back us on fa- uh, Patreon, you can. $5 gets you early access to this and Bike Live. $10, you can listen to each show live as it is recorded. Um, thank you. This has been awesome. Um, for, uh, for our friend Andre, Andre Harrison, who will be back next week. For Adam Johnson, for Krista Hardy, for Ryan Eric King, I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long, and we'll see you on the next episode. Later, y'all! Bye! See you. <laughs>